The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of 2010's Red, which is meant to be read as retired and extremely dangerous. Our protagonist, Frank Moses, played by Bruce Willis, is definitely both of those. If you missed out on part one, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can always stay caught up with us. And hey, you know what also really helps? Tell a friend about the show. Help us spread the word. It's the best way for an indie podcast like ours to grow. Uh, we will go ahead and catch up with Frank and Sarah right after they escape from their fact-finding mission at Langley in this episode of Spies Like Us. Now, on their way out of Langley, because Joe, or Frank, sorry, because Frank made the incredibly stupid and unnecessary decision to go kick down Carl Urban's door, uh, he got shot uh, during the escape, and that's our, I would say, flimsy excuse to get into uh, Victoria, uh, the Helen Mirren character. First thing I'll say on that, like, you know, the idea is that we're sold is like, you know, we got to find someone that can take a bullet out of Frank. Well, let's go talk to Helen Mirren. I'm positive that... Frank Moses has like plenty of other places he could go to get a bullet taken out of him uh, without raising questions, but they just want to bring Helen Murren into the film, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, like this is a typical situation where you got someone where, you know, right. They, they know her, right. I'm sure he could have gone to a lot of people, but they know her, you know what I mean? I think they should know a lot of people. That's what I'm saying. You're right, as in it's just getting Helen Mirren into the film. But, like, in a situation like that, you got people you trust, right? Like, they trust it. Like, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, was, like, they really don't have their guard up. They 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 kind of know each other and it's it's all like a joke, right? Like we we know each other and we play the game. You know what? You know what? A simple a simple line of dialogue could have stitched that up for me. You know, they could have said like, "I can't can't go to can't go to Bob. We're in too deep. We gotta we right. gotta go to someone serious." Um. So okay, okay. Uh. When Joe is introducing Victoria, Helen Mirren, to Sarah, he says she's an artist with an RPN. And well, what the fuck is an RPN? And only these kind of like weird ass fucking super gun nerds might find that like she might be referring, he might be referring to a certain series of light machine gun called, uh, I'm going to butcher this uh, because it's Russian. A Ruchnyoy Pulimyot Nikonova. So there's like one, so there's maybe one gun out in the universe that might be an RPN. Because what he's trying to convey is that she's good at killing people. Right. Um, But there's no reason he would, 
uh, when talking to a civilian, use that as an example. Doesn't doesn't make sense. But anyways, enough about enough about the guns. Yeah, you like uh, we like Helen Marin. We we love Helen Marin. I I love that she hid the gun. Um, and, and it, it's that short version of an MP5. I don't know what that's called. It's the one with the handle on the front, and there's no stock to it. Uh, but it, it, it's basically an MP5. The, like, like I know, I know that's that same gun. Um, but I love when she's like, "Tell Marvin to like step down before he hurts himself," and we get a quick shot. You'll never see this if you're just watching the movie, like not paying attention. He's got this like fake ass bush in front of her window behind her with like a gun pointed at her. It's hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. And I'm giving mad plus buy points to both her hiding the gun under her roses and like, like Marvin's little bush, look hiding. It's adorable. Like it's, it's hilarious. Anyway. At this point in the movie, you know, Morgan Freeman quips, uh, you know, looks like we got the band back together. And uh, it's a good time because uh, we've collected m- almost all of the information that our heroes need uh, vis-a-vis uh, the list of names, both from the reporter's list and from the Guatemala file. And our characters are going to make certain deductions from that. We're actually going to take a pretty detailed look at how... Uh, everyone reacted to the lists at the time different pieces of information were given to them and whether it makes sense. Spoiler alert, a lot of it does not. <laughs> but in summary, uh, the, you know, the uh, part of the dark secret of the film is uh, has to do with uh, Guatemala in 1981. And uh, David... Tell us what was going on in, if anything, in reality, in uh, Guatemala in 1981. The U.S. has a long history with Guatemala. Um, I, I think uh, the, one of the most famous ones was the CIA in 1954 uh, basically backed a coup and uh, dumped a bunch of money into the election to help um, prevent the Communist Party from taking over. But... The 81 Guatemala thing would have been a lot more covert and probably didn't come out because in my research, the only involvement with the U.S. was after 81. And and this is, I guess, the only record we have. So this has to be actually like something covert that hasn't been released. Um, But uh, prior, this is about the coup of general against General Romero Lucas Garcia, who in 78 became president. The Guatemalan establishments and administrations prior to Garcia also had a lot of problems with violence and using the uh, government enforcement and uh, like Guatemalan army uh, using violence against peaceful protests. And it was kind of a big deal. Specifically at this point, uh, there was a protest against the violence, but the organizations that were heavily left Marxist and communist organizations that were the workers that were protesting the violence um, were kind of put down by anti-riot gear that was donated by the United States. Um, So it's not like we weren't 
uh, overtly helping out a little bit, but like I, I think in their reference to 81, it's going to be this specific coup because this ended up leading because even though Garcia had promised not to be violent, there was like death squad killings of a lot of the protesters. And I think what 81, because the thing with the vice president that's discussed in red is that the vice president came and killed a bunch of villagers and had to be taken out. And that's the big secret they're trying to keep or like prevent from getting out. Well, from what I read is during the civil war in Guatemala that had happened, a lot of the villagers were working with the insurgencies um, and this this was during early 81. There was a huge insurgency mounted against um, the the Guatemalan government. And it was a coup specifically against Garcia. And because villagers were helping to sabotage roads and army establishments, enjoying anything of strategic value to the armed forces, um, there was also a lot of terrorist attacks in between like 78 and like 82 that the Guatemalan government was trying to suppress. So th- there was a lot of big stuff going on. What what side is Garcia on? He's the he was the president. So is he our guy or is he Russia's guy? He would not be Russia's guy. The workers protest movement would have probably been Russia's guy because they were heavily Marxist. Okay, I've read, but I don't know. I can't say Garcia was our guy uh, because I don't see any information that's been, I guess leaked out saying okay okay right 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 but it's it's not a it's not a situation where uh like you know in some in the castro situation you have castro was russia's guy and we were funding the insurgents against him this is a case where it's russia funding insurgents against garcia and whether or not he's specifically in our pocket we don't like that Right, exactly. Just trying right. to draw the the blue versus red line here, you know, of which, which side we're supposedly on. Right. So, and and uh, following this whole civil war thing, Reagan actually put in the budget to send a bunch of money over there in support of the Guatemalan government. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't not believe that we were pulling covert stuff during this time period, but I can't find any information that deliberately said that we were involved in uh, suppressing the insurgency other than the the gear that they were using was donated by us. Right. Um, And Reagan, Reagan wins the election in 1980. That's when he first became president. So I guess it's 81 is the first year of his presidency. Sounds like he moved pretty quickly to, uh, I don't know, up the stakes. Maybe it was something he, he felt like Carter had been sleeping on. Right. But the only thing that I can find that, uh, has been claimed that the Reagan administration did get involved was in 82. So this would have been after the protests and the like random killings. But what I'm saying is, is I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, did uh, some sort of covert action between 78 and 82. During, sure. During this sure. Time. Right. So, and, and that's why I wanted to highlight the villagers. I, I believe this is what red is referencing. The villagers worked with the insurgency. Right. So, so let me let me spill out let me spill out the the plot part from Red and then I'll ask you to come back and match it up. Um, okay. In Red, Frank Moses and John Malkovich's character were involved in some kind of op in Guatemala in 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, also the vice president, we refer to him as the, he's he's currently the vice president in in 2010, the year mm-hmm. the movie comes out in. 
uh, he wasn't obviously he wasn't vice president in 1981. Um, mm-hmm. He was just, I guess, some kind of operative. We don't exactly get his resume, but he was involved. And uh, we're going to get some information that uh, uh, he did some, I don't know, crazy stuff, killed a bunch of villagers that maybe didn't need to be killed. And, right. And, and then a lot of the cover up. Yeah. Right. Our guys had to that. come in and clean up the mess. Right. Right. Okay. And then, and then that does sound like, you know, cause it does sound, it's, it was a small village that is talked about in the, in the film. And you're mm-hmm. saying that village probably would have been possibly a uh, hot spot of Russian funded shenanigans. Possibly. Uh, but, but the, like, from what I mean, these villagers were involved in supporting the insurgency, whether they were Russia funded or they were just villagers helping out somehow. Um, th- that's what I think Red might be referencing. Okay. Okay. So let's, uh, that's, that's, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, I'm going to tackle, try to tackle all of my problems, maybe with the lists uh, in kind of chronological order. We start out with, uh, the reporters list. Uh, we know that Frank Moses is on that list and that's why the South Africans come after him. Basically everyone on the report, well, almost everyone on the reporters list is marked for death. Now, when Frank first sees the list, we're going to find out later, there's a commonality of names on the list, which is they were all somehow involved in the Guatemala op. But if Frank was involved in that operation, why doesn't Frank notice that all these names that he sees are all uh, have in common an operation that he did? I mean, granted, it was 29 years ago from Mm -hmm. his perspective, but, you know, he's supposed to be such a, you know, usually we expect our superhero badass spy people to like immediately pick up on those kind of connections. So. I'll I'll give it some minus five points on that. Um, I also kind of want to highlight again. I think I mentioned this last one, but my my number one worst tradecraft is why they even called the hits on the Reds to begin with. I don't I don't think anybody was at risk of exposing this other than a reporter. So I I still see exactly zero reason why these hits were called because it served exactly zero purpose. Like I I don't think there was any threat to the exposure against the vice president wasn't even Dunning. That was like they Dunning was worried that the vice president's history was going to come out and it would screw up his presidency, but then he shoots him at the end. So it's not like he really thought of him as like a high value person. There's an almost, I would call an almost violent stupidity about (laughs) the, the fundamental underpinnings of this plot where like the story is, Frank trying to find out why he's on the list. But the fact that he's on the list in the first place, the only re- the only logical reason he would be on the list is because he would have known the reason that he's on the list. Right. It's, it's an Ouroboros snake eating its tail kind of situation that is, yeah, it's, uh, it's busted. I would say, even though that's like the big one, I'm I'm right. just getting started. Um, 
Frank would have also seen Alexander Dunning's name on the list. And that doesn't get mentioned until later, but he, he, it, it is mentioned uh, at our table meeting when we've got the band together that uh, Dunning is the only name on the list that doesn't match the Guatemala file. Now we saw uh, Frank and Sarah do Google searches on everybody that was on the list. So even if Moses hadn't just recognized the name Alexander Dunning on his own, it would have come up in the Google search. Right. And that should have triggered bells on him. Call minus five points on that. But there's another name on the list that they have both identified as not being dead yet. At -hmm. least it hasn't been reported, uh, which is the pilot. Now the pilot is the guy that actually flew the vice president out of Guatemala under Dunning's orders to try to keep the vice president's involvement secret. So of now we don't know a lot about all, a lot of people on the list. Like a lot of them are already dead, but definitely between the three people we do know, the pilot Moses and Malkovich, the pilot actually does know the secret, you know, right. like, like what you're just talking about, like, like, uh, why are they trying to silence people that don't know anything? Well, this guy yeah. does know something, <laughs> right? He really does. And compared to Moses and Malkovich, like he is a soft target. He's mm-hmm. just working a job. Like, you know, there's no, there's no special forces ness to him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just a guy that used to, you know, do some kind of shady uh, helicopter flying for uh, people that paid well. And now he's just working as an aircraft, uh, air, air, air traffic, air traffic controller. Control. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, my big problem with that is after the South African team fails. Well, first of all, I think they should have taken out the pilot first. I think he should have been higher on the list. But even after, you know, once the the hit on Moses fails and they go to plan B, which is send to send Carl Urban after Frank Moses and also send another guy just to try to take out Joe just because mm-hmm. Frank Moses talked to him. They should have also like found another guy that should be going after the pilot. Instead, right. they're going to wait until they're. It's kind of like the the enemy. You know, in some movies, we get to see, um, you know, a a lot of spy movies is like, you know, one side versus the other kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. in some movies, we only see it from one perspective. In some, we only see it from the other. And in Mm -hmm. some movies, we see both perspectives and both get equal balance. And like the, the villains are working just as hard to try to win the movie as Mm -hmm. the heroes are. Um, But then in this kind of movie, it's like, I I don't like it when it just feels like the villains just get turned off and just go into complete snooze mode and, (laughs) you know, aren't, they're not making any decisions. They're not thinking through the situation and they just appear. Oh, saying like they just show up when it's convenient. I mean, just show it when it's convenient to the story with absolute disregard for the plot. Exactly. 
The only thing I can put together is that CIA bitch was planning on pinning it on Frank at some point. So if he goes and starts talking to people that she could have killed, she could just be like, oh, this crazy ex-operative just went on a rampage or something. But it's still kind of shaky for this movie because I don't think this movie is that high-level strategery, so to speak. You brought up that idea previously, and I credit you for that idea being the underpinnings of a much better movie is yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. if they'd gone after Moses first. And then as he's like finding his way to the truth, they're along the way killing everyone that he meets and then they can pin it on him. I think that would have been, uh, right. yeah, way, way plus an, an, I would have added, added another star to my yeah. movie <laughs> just, just for that. At this present point in the movie, this is when they're getting a chance to compare the two lists. The reporter's list has one name on it that is not in the Guatemala list. That's a mechanic for the script to flag Dunning as being a person of interest because he's a name that's on the reporter's list, not in the file. But of course, the file has one redacted name, so they're going to assume that his is the redacted name and further he must be under surveillance i'm okay with them guessing that his is the redacted name but guessing that that means he must be under cia surveillance 29 years after the events in the file minus five points for me that's hard to argue with i would then say also if you're looking at the two lists and you're trying to figure out like what they have in common and what they don't well, the CIA, the CIA Guatemala file also has two names that are not on the reporters list. So mm-hmm. why don't we care about them? Minus yeah, they just, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, last, last thing on that, on those, those comparisons, I, I just would say like, maybe like, you know, cause we'll find out that the redacted name is not Dunning. It's the vice president. So just real quick, like, why did Dunning's name never make it into the Guatemala file? I mean, maybe he's just that good. Or he's always been black market and they didn't want that on the file. I don't I don't know. That's all of the quibbles about the list that I could find. It's uh it's it's pure tissue paper. It it falls apart completely if you even sneeze on it. Mm-hmm. Or even uh look at it sideways. But with this information, what they're going to do is they're gonna follow up on the the idea that, you know, this guy Dunning, which uh, is played by Richard Dreyfus, is uh, an important person that they should talk to. Try to get to him by having Morgan Freeman uh, dress up like a, what do, you, what do you call, like some kind of... A dictator? Third, like a small, yeah. Third world dickhead. Yeah, <laughs> um, we have esta- we have established that Dreyfus is uh, like the CEO of a major defense department contractor. So right. now I'm, it's okay with me. Like maybe the guy is that stupid and that greedy mm-hmm. uh, that he's taking these kind of meetings, but it's it's really a stretch because believe me, when you're when you're already as hooked up to the U.S. Defense Department's budget tit as as Dunning would be, like you right. do, you do not. There's no reason for you to be taking these kind of meetings. Yeah, no, not at all. 
Yeah. But I think we discussed this and we think it might have been CIA bitch's idea. There's this anonymous tip that like uh, the the Reds are going to go after Dunning or try and meet with him. And they craft this ploy of be, which I thought was kind of cute. I want to give a little bit of plus five points. Like, you know, some third world dictator looking to dump like big amounts of money for black market weapon sales, I think wasn't a terrible attempt, you know, but I think what really made it work is um, we, we've, the the CIA bitch that's kind of like trying to get the Reds killed uh, says there's an anonymous tip that they're heading to Dunning. And uh, I think when we discussed this, we think she might have called Dunning ahead of time to let them let him know that these guys are coming. But when we watched it again, it looked like he really didn't know who they were. Right. Um, and and so also, she was- might have planned it out herself to have all of this go down and possibly work to get things together. But it just seems like something was off because um, Urban later says, it, oh, the whole thing was a was a trap. They've been pulling the strings the whole time, which I think was her. Well, I, I'll just flag really quick minus spy points for our team uh, for right. being so sloppy that uh, their plan to meet Dunning somehow reached CI bitch's ears. Right. Which is weird because we never know how that's even found out. Like, to me, she would have to make an inference. Well, they have the lists. They're probably going to go see Dunning. Like, that's about as good as I can get. I, I don't, I have no idea where. That's why I think the tip was made up. Unless, unless Frank sent the tip, which doesn't make sense either. Yeah, no, I think she's lying about the tip. Uh, yeah. And and again, like yeah, it just uh, it's I, again. I think it's a logical inconsistency that she even knows that they're going to visit him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I had the complaints about Joe surmising that the CIA would be that Dunning would be under surveillance by the CIA due to his involvement in something like from twenty nine years ago, but he is yeah. under surveillance. Uh, and he's under surveillance correctly by the FBI because that would be their job, not the CIA's job, correct? Right. But the only thing I could think of for their surveillance is his maybe black market deals. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, if he's if he's doing this stupid shit like with uh you know selling selling arms on the uh, the the black market, right? Then, yeah, he deserves to be under surveillance. But here, the thing I noticed about the FBI's surveillance is that. It seems to be, uh, well, basically, I mean, there's two guys, there's, I mean, well, there's a bunch of guys, but specifically there's two guys that are doing the listening and they're set up in a tent on his property. So that's not, that's not an indication of a, like a long-term intelligence gathering operation. Right. I mean, which, I mean, those do exist. I mean, some of these operations take, years you know Mm -hmm. of listening in on phone calls but you don't do that you know in a tent uh so that suggests that the fbi is paying a special attention to dunning just recently like today or the last couple days and we have to wonder why i think you had a decent idea on that one I think uh, well I think the tip was sent by CIA bitch to say that he's probably going to be she tipped off the FBI saying he's probably going to be dealing with a dictator some black so you guys might want to go check this out. 
Because it doesn't seem like it was direct order from anybody. It was just kind of like they were there. Right. And that seals the deal for me as well. Okay, but then it it's it's gonna it's gonna wobble a little in a second. But so on the assumption that uh our team was sloppy, we already gave them their minus five points for that, and that she knows that they're going to arrange this meeting, uh it's totally consistent that she might have contacted Dunning and said, like, hey, they're coming. And I'm going to set up FBI surveillance on you. I'm going to lie to them, to the FBI, about, like, why they're actually there. But their their real reason will be there so that when I need to, I can send in my Carl Urban guy and we'll catch these red guys. And so she's, like, planning it with Dunning. And the shot at, at them comes out of nowhere. Right. So Urban had nothing to do with the shot. The FBI didn't have to do with the shot. There's just an unnamed shooter. So we that's why I think it was probably her that planned this whole thing out to get them there and get them caught. The part where that wobbles again, and, and I can't quite keep it like, you know, uh in frame, is if if she arranged the FBI surveillance, then I mean, I assume she informed Dunning, but the way that Dunning reacts now, clearly he knows he's under surveillance for some reason. And that's why he does this like fake recording thing. But that part doesn't necessarily, well, maybe it's just a ploy to put the reds at rest. Maybe he's, maybe he really is totally read in on the whole situation from the whole time. I could I could buy that. If we make two if we make just two assumptions, one that our red team was very sloppy, which mm-hmm. you know, it's not forgivable, but we could make that assumption. And two, if his whole if everything he's doing in the scene was all an act, he knew they were coming, he knows the FBI are out there and he knows the FBI are out there to be on his side. Even mm-hmm. uh, even if the FBI doesn't know that they're there to be right. on the side, right, right, exactly. Um, and so he just sets up the recording, and but then I don't know, weird that the recording starts skipping, and the FBI say like, "Oh, go, go, go!" Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> just just weird. I don't know. Let's let's yeah. let's move on. I've I've yeah. I'm my. I feel like swamp water is like just just coating me up to the knees. Right. At this point. <laughs> um, under threat of torture, Dunning uh, says that, you know, this this wasn't me. This is the vice president, like the current vice president. And, uh, you know, he went on a psycho killing rage and I protected him. And that helped, you know, and they, you know, fill in the dots. And that's how you got rich is because you had this uh, super deep connection with the vice president on, on his rise to power. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that they just take dry, uh, Dunning's word for this and I'll give yeah. that minus five points. Yeah. So while the team gets in this like secret meeting, they, uh, you know, start interrogating. That's when we find out the, the stuff. Um, one of the things they have kind of in place beforehand is Helen Mirren on sniper duty with an M4 for whatever reason. Um, but, uh, she's kind of has eyes on the scene in the background communicating with them. 
Um, and this is when she kind of has a girl to girl meeting with Sarah and tells her, don't break his heart or I'll kill you. But one of the cool things, she tells a story about how she was dating someone from the KGB. She was MI6 and she was ordered to kill him. And so she ended up shooting him three times in the chest. Well, we later find out that that guy is our guy, Brian Cox. And he knew that she still loved him because he didn't, she didn't kill him. So I think it was kind of, I want to give plus five points to Helen Mirren for shooting him in the chest so that he could survive, but still salvage her career with the MI6 and, and move on. Um, so I kind of thought that was cool. So it's like they say, uh, you know, if you love something, if you love someone, let them go. And if they come back, shoot them three times in the chest. <laughs> and if they survive, it's meant to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The idea is... Uh, once the recording starts skipping, the FBI start doing their raid into the building. Helen Mirren lets them know. This is when, for whatever reason, Morgan Freeman decides somebody has to die and it's going to be him. So, uh, Frank, this whole thing really kind of bothered me because I'm not really sure why Morgan Freeman had to die or what the deal was. But the idea is Frank tells Urban that he's coming out and he comes out in a trench coat. And all of a sudden, there's a shot out of nowhere, like we mentioned. No one knows who fired the shot. Urban goes nuts. He's trying to save the guy. And it turns out to be Morgan Freeman. And our guys escape out through the back and run off. Sarah gets caught by the FBI and gets pulled in by Urban uh, to get interrogated. Which, by the way, I really like that interrogation. It, it wasn't, like, super well done. But, like, I liked the fact that he tried to appeal to her. Like, look, I don't want Frank to get hurt. I know you don't want him to get hurt you know, help us out so we can help him. Like the, just the language he uses is very solid. Like very, very much appreciated on my part. I'll give it plus five points. Uh, but so now they have Sarah and this obviously pisses Frank Moses off to no end. So Frank calls urban and starts th going on in this whole speech about how, um, Hey, you know, I didn't, I, I taught myself a long time ago not to invest, you know, cause I know investing, is, is bad and they can use it against you. Um, but then I met this girl, Sarah, and all I ever wanted was to have a life with her. And, you know, when someone has something you love and you know that person can hurt them, it's an almost indescribable feeling. And then the trace is running, my, meanwhile, at Langley, and they trace it back to Urban's home. So we basically discover Bruce Willis's play to get Sarah back is to basically threaten Urban being like, I know where your family lives. I know that you love your wife and your kids and I'm at your house right now. And if you do anything to hurt Sarah, I will take everything you love and rip it out of your life. Um, I wanted to mark this my number two best tradecraft. That right there, that is basically like my chess strategy in a nutshell. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Like, I'm 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 always about like, you know, what you threaten my you threaten this piece? Like my first thought yeah. usually is not to try to protect that piece. My first thought is to try to find something that I can threaten of yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And and make so, you make the choice. Then Frank tells Urban, I'm gonna go kill the VP. Which makes no sense because the idea is he's going to go kidnap the VP to create a situation for a trade-off to get Sarah. He basically made his job of extracting the VP harder for himself when he 
Okay, so the, I'm I'm marking that as my number three worst trade craft. Is what, why would you even say that? The only the only thing possible you could save that with is if you somehow imagine Moses playing some kind of three dimensional chess where he wants to make sure that Urban is involved right. in trying to protect the vice president. Right. But that's so it's, that he could be a piece real, later. It's yeah. real stretch, you know, yeah, and it's not it's, it's not supported by by what we see in the movie. Yeah, it just doesn't. It, it, it's it's silly, and it really bothered me. And so I'm I'm marking that as my number three worst tradecraft. Um, but Frank leaves the folder of the Guatemala file and the reporters list at Urban's, so that he could show Urban like, hey, everything I told you is actually the case. Like the you you're you're being sent to kill us for the wrong reasons, and here's here's my evidence, you know. Um, now I didn't like this, uh, but but you had some thoughts. I'll I'll go first. I I quibbled about this, like why Frank is putting his eggs in Urban's basket. Um, mm-hmm. So far, he's gotten no reason to believe that Urban is a stand-up guy. You know, like he'll show up to be at the very end of the film. Um, basically, you don't know anything about this guy that he's trying to kill you. So mm-hmm. handing him the information felt fuzzy to me. I think they came in stages, and I don't think he put he, he's putting all of his eggs in the in the urban basket. What I think is he probably has been in urban shoes before, where he's been ordered to kill somebody, and he just has no information. He's like, "Go kill these people; they're a threat." Um, and and I think from their interactions, he might have surmised or something. That maybe this guy's just doing his job. I've been there before. Let me give him some information, and hopefully, it kind of like changes. His, it gives him a change of heart to where he's going to do the right thing rather than just following the orders. Because um, you know, Frank does a lot of different stuff, and I don't think he's just banking on him. It just turns out that it's a really important move later. In our prior discussion on that subject, you did bring me around because it reminded me of my philosophy of, you know, like, I I don't mind when heroes take big risks uh, when they have no other choice. And right now, you know, Urban's got Sarah. Uh, It maybe does make sense to just throw chaff at him. Just anything (laughs) that, you know, would make him doubt what he's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, is is going to be a benefit. So yeah, yeah, I can, I can excuse that. Yeah. So now we go to the big heist moment where they're going to kidnap the VP. It gets very heist movie vibe at this part. Yeah. Uh, the music is screaming heist at you. Yeah. Some like really upbeat jazzy, like do 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 do. You know, like it's super. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like stuck in my head for like a few minutes. Yeah. Bass is going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very heisty. Uh, Like it's a whole setup. Uh, They're obviously pulling all the strings to get this extraction. Blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, like we discussed this. I don't think that's the right move. They they decide they're going to kidnap the VP in a gala for a fundraiser where he's announcing his – I forgot what it he's is. He's announcing that he's going for the presidency. Right. And and there's going to be a, there's a lot of wealthy people and how to do people and there's probably going to be tons of 
um, Secret Service. I feel like to or from the gala would have been a better idea because travel is a very uh, weak point. You know, like, you know, when they talk about, you talk about war games, you talk about like old war strategies going after like, you know, the supply chains or something like that. Um, I would think that would be the most dangerous place. But if they went and just hit the car on the way there, I don't think it would be as exciting as this awesome heist moment at a gala. Our more serious spy movies uh, would not choose this big public event as as the place (laughs) to try to do what they're going to try to do. And it should be triply uh, difficult because, like we said, like uh, it made no sense really for Frank to tell Urban that he was going to kill the vice president. Right. Urban doesn't doesn't fill the Secret Service in on that fact. You know, like, hey, by the way, someone just threatened to, to kill the VP. You might want to be on alert. It was it was annoying. The whole sequence of how they get the vice president out is, uh, you know, I don't want to go into micro detail on on some of it because it's not, to me, the most interesting points of discussion. But there are some highlights. First of all, I'd say, like, just the overall plan, they create the emergency that says, Mm -hmm. like, okay, VP, got to get out of here. You know, gas, gas, gas. Um and that was cool when Cox was spraying. I, I when at first when I was like, why is everybody smelling weird stuff? And then when he pulled the alarm and he screams gas, I was like, oh, the spray basically made it smell like gas so that people would believe, oh, there's gas. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that. A little little pus by points for it. Ooh, it's a good time for me though to mention uh my personal minus by points on uh bringing Cox along on this mission. This guy's KGB. I understand he's got a function that he can fulfill, but you, you, you know, you, you've established that Frank Moses has got, you know, like uh, these can't be the only people he knows. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing bringing (laughs) HGB guy along in, in this mission, just it's, it's very hand wavy story stuff. They just wanted Brian Cox to be in the movie, which is fine. I love me some Brian Cox, but, uh, well, they really wanted to seal the, the love, moment with him and Helen Mirren. Right, right, uh, right, right, right. And I, and I, I think so logistically so it, again, it's like why so he's there. It makes yeah. sense for the story because yeah. the story doesn't care about the plot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> right. it's how I feel about most of this movie. And the movie's so much fun. What I would consider like massive logical problems like this one, they just waltz mm-hmm. right past you. This movie's like just flying a finger at at logic like all the time, <laughs> like while it's dancing on the dance floor and having right. a good time. And instead of sitting there like and saying like, this is bullshit, I'm sitting there going like, this is fucking fun. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But 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 these these big problems do exist. I got two, I think, two favorite parts of of this bit. And one of them is my number three best tradecraft. And even though it's just kind of cute, did you notice that Malkovich, you know, because they're doing all this passing around, like, you know, um, infiltrating uh, through different directions, like you do in a heist movie. Yeah. uh, A heist scene. But... Malkovich literally shows up in three different outfits at in three <laughs> different scenes. Like he's he's a busboy at one point, like a a cook at another, yeah. and and a guest in in another. Like like every time you see him, he's he's 
playing a different role. I like that. Right. I wanted to give it some. Yeah, that was great. Points. Yeah. My other super favorite one, and I really do adore this one, is uh, that he's brought sensible shoes along for Harold, Helen Mirren. Yeah, she takes off her heels and jumps in combat boots. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just it's just always been one of my sticking points. Like, you know, like in in uh, even like in video games. I mean, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's okay if you want to be super silly to watch some woman like totally kick ass in heels. This is, yeah, it's kind of a sex appeal thing about that. But honestly, yeah. at the end of the day. I'd rather watch a woman kicking ass in fucking combat boots. Right, and exactly. Sensible yeah. shoes for the win. Yep. <laughs> and it's that's a nice that's a nice little detail in in a movie where I wouldn't have expected them to um otherwise like have that kind of sensibility. Yeah. To say like, okay, we're going into combat now. Hey, <laughs> I brought you yeah. some actual <laughs> shoes. Yeah, I brought you some good shoes. Well, the basic plan, though, through this whole heist is to create these huge diversions and kind of corral the team into the exit parking garage, then cut off those cars. They they eventually want to funnel him into getting in a car that just has the logo on the side, which is, of course, being driven by Frank. And I wanted to mark this as my best tradecraft number one, even though it was silly for them to try and pull off uh, the abduction at the gala. Um, I liked how they used like indirect fire and emergencies and um, to try and corral. And as in each stage of the exits, they're whittling away more and more secret service men where it just comes down to two. And I really liked the, the 50 cal where it took out both of their cars and then they, automatically set it up where it's just firing. So they think that she's still firing, but they're off going, doing something else to, to continue more of the corralling. I, I like that a lot. So I marked this as my number one jet best tradecraft. I do like the fact that, you know, like they kind of cut off exit a, that'll mm-hmm. force them to use uh, plan B. Then they're whittling them down in plan B to a smaller force that they need to tackle uh, for their plan C and plan C, uh, you know, gets blown up by Brian Cox. And, and at that point they're kind of out of plans. And so when just, it's just last two guys protecting the vice president stumbling out onto the street uh, after being freaked out by uh, John Malkovich's uh, bomb vest, they're completely frazzled and they'll take any port in the storm in a storm. Right. And that's why they're willing to just jump into like, you know, this car that, I mean, it's got the president, it's got the United States presidential seal on the side. Where are you going to go? Just, just jump in. And then that's the final, that's the final snatch. Yeah. That, that, that part of it was appreciated uh, by me. So then that leads us to, you know, Frank Moses having the vice president in hand. He's going to basically try to trade it, trade him for Sarah. Because that's his only concern at this point, right? Yeah. Of course, Urban, I mean, Urban's the one that he, uh, you know, thinks uh, can bring Sarah along. Obviously, Urban still at this point trusts his boss, CIA bitch, enough to tell her about it. She's going to tell Dunning about it. So that's why, you know, uh, during the exchange, CIA bitch and Dunning show up. That's where, I don't know, 
Richard Dreyfus. He's the guy playing Alexander Dunning. Just kind of does some does a minor version of a ha 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 ha. Here was my whole master plan kind of thing. Right. <laughs> um, the vice president seems to be also corroborating the whole the whole story. Like, oh, it was Dunning all the time. I mean, at this point too, I go back and I still question like if the vice president really had that big of a secret to I don't I don't know if he actually went psycho back in Guatemala. Yeah. Like like from the from the way he plays it and stuff, it's kind of hard to believe that he went like ballistic and started just assault, like slaughtering villagers. I think I, I think other than his announcement he did kind of have a sociopathic feel to him, but then when he like broke down at the end, I was like, I don't believe this guy was a psycho. I feel like it's more plausible that something went wrong in Guatemala. And because of his, you know, his, his father's a Senator, you know, they have political ambitions for him that just overall, like whatever went wrong, they just never wanted his name to be involved in that. Like at all. Right. Cause it it just would have looked weird and and cut off his his future ambitions yeah and then we get kind of you know kind of a neat resolution here like uh uh we do the the usual thing where uh the good guy the like our guys win the the protagonists win yay and uh sarah and frank get together that's that's about it agents please report for debriefing on this operation the director will see you now when I first described or first thought of like what this movie is reminding me of, remember, like I said, it was like had sprinklings of romancing the stone. I think that's something that was in the movie makers' minds. This story of Sarah being forcibly dragged out of her gray, dreary, pencil pushing life and into the life of excitement and intrigue that she's always read about in her novels Mm -hmm. uh, and now gets to experience and, you know, gets increasingly excited by and, and into, I had a thought that if they had opened on her instead of opening on Frank, I think I would have bought it a lot better. Mm -hmm. Like just, just follow her. Don't show me Bruce Willis. Like, Mm -hmm. Have him on the phone, right? I can hear his voice as an audience member, but I don't actually see him. I'm just following her stupid, boring life. And the first time that I see Bruce Willis is when he shows up at her house. That's actually, I think it would have been a lot better. We didn't really need that whole opening shot. I I feel like that. I feel like that would have made the whole movie more like her story instead and make her the primary character that is my audience surrogate Mm -hmm. instead of being like kind of a side character where I feel like in the way this movie is done, like Bruce Willis is my, you know, uh, is my audience surrogate. He's the guy I feel like I'm seeing the movie through his eyes and she's on the side. I think if if you'd redone this movie where I saw it more through her eyes, uh, I'd have, I'd I'd have bought it a lot better. Um, right. It's it's a super fun, colorful, flavorful movie. Uh, I totally dug it, uh, even though I was just ticking off all the fucking stupid 
mistakes that they make and and logic inconsistencies. Yeah, uh, it's I'm just right down the middle, dude. Three, three stars. Yeah, despite the tradecraft silliness. But it's a really fun and really, really funny movie that I could watch over and over and over and over again. So uh, I'm actually going to go with a three and a half on this one, despite the the inconsistencies. It's just such a fun movie, I and I, and I highly recommend it. What, what, what are your uh, best and worst? Uh, number three, Malkovich. Three outfits in one op. I just, I just had fun watching that kind of flexibility. <laughs> My number two best trade craft was Frank Moses telling the Brian Cox character that he flipped Igor because that's a good moment to like diffuse the tensions between them. And also, yeah, who knows if it's true or not? Yeah. My number one best. It doesn't really matter if it's true, right? Because it, it was just a great moment. It works. I mean, yeah. that's all that matters to me. Uh, whether it's true or not, it's 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 the right play. Um, and my number one best, you know, I just have a fetish for elaborate, you know, escape plans. If anything goes wrong and you suddenly have to like, you know, get the fuck out of Dodge and, Mm -hmm. and the way that he's got his, his burn bag secreted under a cement floor that he's got a trash with a sledgehammer. That's, Mm -hmm. that's right up my alley, buddy. Always love that kind of shit. My number three best trade craft was, uh, uh, when, the Sarah drops the contacts and the, the the raid team security at Langley comes to stop him and she just plays it off, improvs really well and just goes, the generals dropped this contact lens. I, I think I think that was really helpful. My number two best tradecraft was uh, Frank going after Carl Urban's family as I like, okay, you have Sarah. I'm going to threaten something you love uh, to ensure Sarah's safety. I, li- I liked that a lot. That one, uh, that one should probably landed higher on my list in retrospect. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the number one best tradecraft, I just liked all of the t- tactics during the heist of like corralling the Secret Service and the VP and every stage whittling down how many Secret Service agents were there to protect him and then like forcing him into their car, pretending to be the car. So I, I, I liked that. Uh, uh, that was great. That was great. I'm even gonna retroactively uh, uh, put the the going after the urban family. That's actually got to be my number one best. I think I was I was oh, looking, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I was looking so closely at all the minor problems, like uh, yeah, which there's just a blizzard of right, <laughs> that I missed that one, which is actually really solid. So yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would put that as as my number one and and bump my Igor thing and. And then just forget about my Malkovich three outs outfits in one op. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my new list. Uh, worst. I mean, Sarah's pivotal to the movie. It's a, it's a, it's a way less interesting movie without her in it, but there's still like, it's really flimsy the way that they bring her into the story. And even once she's brought in, in the first place, at no point to me does it make any goddamn sense that they bring her, especially into like these, you know, super dangerous tense situations. Like she had no reason being at Dunning's house. She had absolutely no reason going into Langley with Frank. And that's my number three worst trade craft. 
And in any other movie, that easily could have been a number one because that is big. <laughs> right. But I think I think I can beat it, and I think I can beat it twice. Here's my number two. <laughs> my number two is that uh, KGB Brian Cox knows Langley inside and out and can just infiltrate, uh, you know, knows all the passcodes and the security protocols. Even if I could forgive that for a moment, the fact that Frank Moses knows that Brian Cox has that kind of information and never felt like mentioning it to the CIA, that's really bad. Yeah. And that could have been my number one worst in a lot of movies, but I can top it. Frank Moses, upon finding out that Carl Urban accessed his file recently goes to Cooper's office and starts a fight with him has absolutely zero reason for existing. Yeah, except, that was, except to give us a cool Aerosmith song. And a fight scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was silly. There was no reason for that fight whatsoever. None. Those are some pretty bad ones, but uh I my my list, uh my number three worst tradecraft was telling Carl Urban he's gonna kill the VP. I don't think it served any purpose. That's a bad one. That's a really, really bad one. Um, Todd's number one, but my number two worst tradecraft was going to Cooper's office. I don't, I, it it doesn't make any, it was such a pointless fight. Uh, Anyway, all it did was create a problem for them to get out of Langley. But my number one worst tradecraft was calling the hits on the, the Reds in the first place. Why would they do that? None of, First of all, like like you pointed out, they didn't even really know why they were trying to get killed. They're trying to find it out. They know they were involved in Guatemala, but they didn't realize that the VP and a senator's son was the one that is the reason why all those villagers were murdered or whatever. They didn't know that. And even if they did, they didn't show any signs of exposing it. It was really just the reporter. So once the reporter was dead, then there was no reason. The movie should have been over. But then we don't get a big romance with Sarah and Frank. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to put it out there. That mm-hmm. That's my number one worst tradecraft with calling the hits on the Reds. It is the fundamental, fundamental flaw of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you um, make me a pitch on park benches? I know where I'm going to land, I, but I want to hear I already you. know where I yeah, want. Okay. okay, let's hear it. I already know where I want. Um I I want it to be more real. I think it's more realistic than Spies Like Us. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. But I, I think it's less realistic. It's pretty low bar. And from Russia with love, we gave La Femme Nikita a 1.5. Yeah. So I think I want to go with that. You're singing my song, except I've gonna, I'm going to break in and say I'm still – I'm also with you, like everything you just said. Yeah. Even to the point of saying, okay, yeah, higher than Spies Like Us. Again, Mm -hmm. low bar. We give that one park bench. Uh, Less than From Russia With Love, which we gave a 2.5. I think, and this has been bugging me for a long time, when we are assigning park benches right around in this kind of range that we're both agreeing on. This is the fourth time, I believe, that I've looked at our 1.5 that we gave to La Femme Nikita and thought, that seems a little low. Yeah. It's the only one one that keeps bugging me. 
and it, and it was early on, so I you know I can understand that we kind of messed that up, but yeah, maybe maybe we need to retroactively give that a buff. I think well, I think it's because that was our maybe our first movie that where the premise was so was fantastic. Yeah, because I don't believe in the the you know organization taking heroin addicts and turning them into assassins <laughs> at all. Yeah. But then later, you know, when we get to Bourne supremacy, like Bourne, you know, the Bourne backstory is almost as incredulous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, I feel like it's been enough time. I'm going to formally propose that we retroactively bump La Femme Nikita up from 1.5 to 2 park benches and that we put it right alongside Red at a two which would that those would be then our twos would be uh la femme nikita red and uh our evaluation of garrick uh the star trek cardassian spy um, oh that sounds good yeah. they would all kind of kind of line up are you with me with that i'm i'm definitely with you with that yeah all right so we just gotta mark that the it's been edited, and we're retroactively turning La Femme Nikita into a two-part bench. I'll definitely put an asterisk and a little comment in the spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.